Welcome to the Impact Sessions, a business podcast hosted by me, Nick Bramley, CEO and Director of Impact at Impactus Group. The Impact Sessions brings you weekly insights and experiences from some of my most valued, trusted and influential business contacts across a range of current, interesting and hopefully thought-provoking subjects designed to give you some practical tips and ideas to drive continued success in your business. On this episode of the Impact Sessions, I'm interviewing Anna Ashford. Anna talks about why great legal support and advice is a business investment and not a cost. Basically, don't mess with your legal advice. Enjoy the podcast. So this morning, I'm delighted to have as my guest, Anna Ashford. She's a board advisor and lawyer at a company called Alpaca, which is a great name for a business. Um, Anna's here because um, she's very active on on social media and posts some really interesting uh, articles and content about all things legal and extended services, which, which we will explore. But I want to explore why great legal support and great legal advice in a business is an investment, not a cost. Because that's something I've seen you have an opinion or a view on, Anna, previously. So, first of all, welcome to the Impact Sessions podcast. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Excellent. Your first time in a podcast studio, so I'll be trying to be gentle with you and uh, just enjoy it and relax and hopefully we'll have a good uh, chat, inspire a few of our listeners. So, uh, I'll start with um, the first question. You're a member of the Alpaca team, which I I say is a great name. Um, You provide legal services and a lot more to clients. So... Um, but you have a very different and refreshing approach to client relationships and client development. The things I see about Alpaca is it has a certain culture, which you don't often see in a professional services firm. So do you want to share with the audience what I would call the Alpaca way might be all about? Mm, absolutely. Um, so Alpaca, Alpaca was born probably around four years ago mm-hmm. uh, in its current guise. Um, as you've said, we have legal services, we also have HR, we have finance, we have learning and development, we have sales, we have procurement, um, and that list of professional services that that all businesses need. Mm. Um, And we're continuously adding to to those core services. Um, And it was born very much out of a need, I think, for businesses to be able to access the kind of services they need, professional services, in a much more practical, business-like way. Uh, I think professional services are, you know, very traditional by their by their very nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so actually flipping it on its head, looking at what does a business need, mm-hmm. getting rid of the silos, getting rid of those kind of labels and, and, and buckets, if you like, of this is my lawyer, this is my accountant, and this is my HR person, and they never speak to each other, and I get conflicting advice from all of them. Mm-hmm. Why not have them all working together and actually looking at looking at the goal, looking at the business needs and the business vision and, and what the business is trying to achieve and then slotting the services in around that. So oh. it might be that there's a bit of legal needed, there's a bit of finance, there's a bit of sales, but it's the the business goal that is driving that rather than, oh, we need a lawyer to look at something. Okay. Um, so it's an interesting approach that you flipped it on its head and looked at the business first and then created the alpaca brand around that. Mm. Um, 
Was that always the intention to be more than a legal services provider? Because that's, I presume, that's where you started uh, from yeah. a legal uh, position. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It did start um, as a law firm, mm-hmm. um, but the vision was always there. The vision was always there for this to be bigger than just law. Mm. Um, but I guess, as with most things, it has to start somewhere. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, Richard and Rob, two lawyers, who started it. So law was obviously the the natural place to to start. Was there a light bulb then that made you look as a business and say, there's a need for this? Because I've worked across the the, the UK business community for uh, too many years and I care to mention and my children will be saying, so since the days of the woolly mammoth as they often uh, uh, derogatory say, um, there's been loads of I guess, signpost organisations in that time from your business links and your your, your sort of uh, venture growth businesses and advisors, etc. They used to signpost people, but they didn't ever provide services. So I'm interested to how the, the, the two guys you mentioned there, what was the light bulb if there was one that said, let's bring this all under one roof? Because it a, a, it, it's an unusual and obviously exciting business model, mm. but... There's got to be a spark somewhere. Do you know what the spark was for that? The, the sort of light bulb for the business. Um, I think both of them, having coming out, having come out of big law firms, frustrated at the way the professional services, legal services in particular, are, are delivered. The sort of silo bit you mentioned. The silo, exactly. Um, and I think that that spark and that that dream of what Alpaca was going to be. Uh, was always there from the very beginning. Mm. Um, I think they were told many times that, well, that won't work. That's not how it's done. Um, but they're it, both. W- it won't work because nobody's done it before. Doesn't mean that's the right answer, does exactly. it? Exactly. But, you know, they're both very tenacious and stuck with it. Mm. And we're now here, kind of four years on, with this core of central services mm. that we are continually adding to. Um, with a view now to investing in businesses. Right. So we will now be looking at taking stakes in businesses and helping them grow and so, grow as, as So that will be an alternative can. to a fee-based structure, potentially. It could be in return for sort of mutual advantage, et cetera, that kind of thing. Quite possibly, exactly. Okay. Um, obviously, starting off with legal services, four years on, you've got a range of, a, a suite of options. Um do people enter the business of, of, of using Alpaca from all sorts of different routes then? How do, how do it, it doesn't always start with legal anymore? No, it doesn't. Um, quite often people will come to us because they have a particular need. Mm. It might be, you know, it might be a legal need. It might be a, a people need, yeah. uh, whatever that need is. Um, but we are now also really starting to see traction where people are coming to us because they see the bigger picture, the wider kind of umbrella of services and support that we offer. Mm. Um, so it is starting to move away from solely being, I need a contract or, you know, I, I need help with a, an HR issue. Yeah. Okay. I guess the two that go together quite naturally as a starting point would be legal and HR because HR is a, a legal minefield anyway, isn't it? So mm-hmm. the people side of HR is supported by a framework of, I guess, uh, you know, policies, procedures and all the things that go with that and protecting the business. So I, I'm interested in, let's go back to one of the reasons we invite you in, the LinkedIn post about investing, not not spending, not seeing mm-hmm. it as a cost. I'm, I do a lot of work with, with organisations and they'll say to me, how much, do you, how much does it cost to engage you? I say, it's not, doesn't cost you anything. I go, why? I say, you're investing in your business. And I, I only want to work with people who see 
what we provide at Impactus Group as an investment. If you see it as a cost, it's a you're all, you're on a hiding to nothing anyway, aren't you? So, what's your take on investing in legal services and other services rather than seeing it as a cost? What's your view on that? I think that the traditional view of legal services, in particular, um, is that it's an expensive and unnecessary insurance policy. Mm. It's only there to help you if things go wrong. And generally people don't want to look on the black side and they think, well, that's not going to go wrong. So why would I basically waste my money on that now? Yeah. Um, and I would really challenge that view. It's it's having, having the contract there, having an agreement in place does help if things go wrong, mm. but there's so much more to it. I think it's, it's absolutely an asset of the business. Um, if you look at taking investment or exiting your business on a sale, mm. getting a loan from the bank, wherever the money's coming from, they will be looking at the assets of the business. And having good contracts in place are absolutely key to that. Mm. Um, and it will have an effect on the value of your business. Well, you wouldn't run your business without having an accountant. You wouldn't run your business without having a you know maybe a relationship with the bank although these mm. days that's less and less so than the old-fashioned mm. kind of bank manager um so why should legal service be any different uh, absolutely yeah. absolutely and uh, i feel like i'm on a bit of a crusade on on linkedin and, mm. and where have you to to kind of to change people's perception and and to educate people so i think coming back to the point about it being an asset of the business mm. if you have you're running your business, but you don't have your supply chain secured, for mm. example. Um, there is nothing to stop your key supplier turning around tomorrow and switching off the supply. Yeah. And what effect is that going to have on your business? Um, you know, the, the other side of that coin is if you don't have contracts in place with your customers, mm. again, looking at evaluation of your business, you don't have a secured pipeline of sales mm. that will have an impact on the valuation of your business so that's where the investment piece comes in the protection of the business from a, a contractual perspective uh ring fences some value doesn't it in terms it of, of, of of your balance sheet value or, or sale value etc etc it does one of my one of the most common things i see with business i've been working in this sort of business environment for 20 odd years is um people who go into business together who are friends or family and whatever, and they go, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And we've, we're okay. We're best mates. We've been best mates since we're school, et cetera. Um, that, how many times does that fall apart? Because working together is not the same as drinking together or eating together or socialising together. No. That's an investment, isn't it, in protecting both asset, both parties? It absolutely is. And, yeah, the number of times where you have unfortunately seen it go wrong mm. um, because unfortunately it does happen. Um, you know, success can mean different things to different people. And so where you start out in a business and where it ultimately goes um, could mean very different things to those two people that you've just talked about. Who It, it also changes people though, doesn't it as well? It does. In terms of, you know, a perspective on what their ambitions are personally, what their ambitions are for the business and what they want to get out of it. That might change significantly when you've suddenly got a, a real success on your hands or mm -hmm. the other side of things when things are struggling. So it's it's that's true. You you have maybe two people that start a software business. Mm. They're both absolutely brilliant software developers. 
that's the day job. Then having to actually run the business, you might find that one of them is a much more natural leader, whereas the other one is is much more natural in, you know, the development role. Operations. The operations. And and how do you then actually deal with that when they've both started this business together, but they're taking very different paths within it? Mm. Um, And so it's in those scenarios where it's so important to have a shareholders agreement Mm. in place, because unfortunately the kind of the, the fallback legal position doesn't really offer any security so or the, so resolution the de- so the default's not strong enough no. then because a lot of people i think you mentioned earlier people go yeah I'd, i'm okay thanks i don't need that i'll address that if it becomes a problem but then you're going to default legal precedent and if those default legal precedents are not in your favor mm. then they're not worth the paper they're written on anyway it's not worth the risk is it really in some respects it's, it's not worth the risk because i mean taking that as an example if, if the two if the, the two shareholders that we're talking about here can't resolve their differences and, and decide what they're going to do with the business, ultimately the legal position takes you to well you have to dissolve the company basically right. that that's the default legal position right which doesn't really help anybody doesn't work for either of them though, it doesn't it? so if you've actually sat down and had a conversation at the outset of the business as to this is what we want to do. Mm. These are what our plans are. If this happens, if there is a dispute or if one person wants to leave, this these are the steps we will go through. And, you know, having had that conversation in a, a calm, happy, excited place at the start of the business, you're in a much better place to, to have that agreement rather than, you know, X months down the line, X years down the line when you've, you've fallen out and it's all getting a bit acrimonious. And you've, got, and you've got a lot of skin in the game at that stage, haven't you, that, that you feel that, whether it's balanced or fair or unfair and yeah. emotions are different. And it is a bit, though, on that, I don't want to specifically talk just about this area of legal aspect, but it's a bit like having a prenup, isn't it, for a wedding? You know, it's an awkward conversation to have when everyone's on honeymoon, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's that kind of... You've read my LinkedIn post about that, Well, that you? was the piece. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is. That was a fascinating bit for me, you know, a prenuptial agreement. In a, it suggests a lack of romance, doesn't it? But it's actually important... <laughs> Particularly if there's assets there to protect, and the assets are the people, the business, and yeah. both sides, aren't there really? Yeah. Okay. And you think, you know, six months down the line, 12 months down the line, the, the, the stakes are higher, there's more money invested, there's more potentially employees, you know, you, you want to be looking after mm. the whole business. Okay. So, in your experience at Alpaca and before, you've been a, 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 a lawyer for, a, a, I won't say a long time, but <laughs> I, I, I won't even go into how long, but you've been, you've been a lawyer for longer than the four years I have. at Alpaca. What do you reckon the biggest risks uh, businesses take with their legal uh, position? I think probably it's ignoring it. Right. And hoping that it's not going to be a problem and that it will go away. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, I've, I've used the word sabotage before, which sounds quite dramatic. Mm. Um, but if you actually look at what it is costing you in, in real money, what it's costing you not to have the right legal support or structures in place, mm. um, it could be that actually your terms and conditions are far too generous when it comes to accepting liability um, for defective products or um, poor service, what, you know, whatever the, the company is doing. So the clawback of that could be yeah. quite sort of uh, 
penal really. Exactly. And, and then not looking at how the risks in the business are managed properly. Are you picking up all of your suppliers' risks? Mm. Are you picking up all of your customers' risks? Are you then the one sat in the middle, you know, when, when the music stops and all the risk sits with you? All the, we, all the chairs have gone. All the and chairs you're, have gone. And you're it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Which, which might be absolutely fine. Mm. Um, but if that is the decision you take, that you are going to take that risk, mm. you need to be aware of that and you want to be pricing it properly. Yeah. But you also are making an informed judgment at that stage rather than a, um, you know, a, a, um, well, let's go the oh shit moment where you think, <laughs> I didn't realise I was the only one with a chair and it's all, yeah. everyone's pointing at me. So informed judgment's easy, easier than sort of non-planned sort of accidents, isn't it really? Definitely, okay. definitely. And that comes back to the point about pricing it properly. Mm. Because if you're getting paid to take that risk, mm. then, you know, commercially, that's probably okay. Yeah. But if you're not getting paid to take the risk... Then, then you actually uh, you, the risks even greater than you were aware of, isn't it? Really, yeah. on that basis. Okay. Yeah. So we've talked about kind of risk in general. What are the things that crop up more often than not that are, that you see as pre- preventable? You know, the things that you think not again. Why the things that businesses do or don't do that crop mm. up regularly? Is it people? Is it supply chain? Is it contractual in terms of property? What are the things that people just fail to keep their eye on? I think that terms and conditions come up a lot. Um, I think because everybody probably realises that they should have some terms and conditions, mm-hmm. um, but they're so readily available on the internet. You know, Google terms and conditions yeah. for your business sector, you can get some. Right. Um, are they are they valid if they're generic? Well, I, I, and that's the difficulty. If they don't actually reflect what you're doing yes. and how you're operating in your business, then question actually is there any value in having them Mm. um if it says that you know you will or rather the invoices are paid on x number of days but you actually expect payment on a different set of days yeah you can see that problem yeah it's not really gonna gonna help you there's also some perception about if something's free what's the value of it isn't there and i've been a big advocate of that you know uh, i work although i do work and have worked with some exceptional programs of support for businesses that are free at the point of entry mm. um you know those those are driven by a requirement to support new businesses new starts pre-starts all that mm. kind of thing so there's one i'm working on the adventure program for example um that's that's a, a yorkshire wide or certainly a, a west yorkshire wide initiative that i'm working on um that's got lots of businesses or lots of people who've got an idea for a business and they're in the early stages. So what advice would you give someone at that early stage about how to assess and address their legal risks and how to manage them? What would you say they need to be at least aware of as a starting point? Um, I think the bit that feels difficult in that scenario is that actually the the need for proper contracts, proper structures mm. are just as valid at that early startup stage as they are for a more mature business. Mm but there's less money available. Um, So what I would say in those scenarios is that I would encourage them to build in a budget for some legal support, Mm -hmm. however small that might be, but to start, you know, on a good footing of, of, of building in that, that budget. Um, And I think that, you know, they're 
their funders, their shareholders, their bank, they're not going to criticise them for spending money on proper professional advice. No. That protects the investors. It protects the bank. They will encourage you to do that. It's not frivolous expenditure, is it? It's not. It's absolutely not. Um, and I think it, it also then builds credibility mm-hmm. with those investors and those lenders um, that they can see that you are working um, you know, in a, in a responsible, credible way. Having said that, it can be expensive to get that support. So mm. practically, I think what I would suggest is that they read contracts that they're being asked to enter into. Yeah. They read the terms and conditions that they've maybe found that look similar to what they're doing on the internet. Mm. And be honest with themselves. Do I understand this? Yeah. Does this reflect what we're doing? Um, if not, try and rework it mm. so that it does reflect what, what you're doing. So start with something rather than nothing. Yeah. And, and then as you develop and grow, maybe take on board a, the advisory sort of capacity of a, yeah. a, of a retained law firm or whatever, that kind of thing. Okay. And the language, you know, I think people talk about, you know, the small print and terms and conditions and, and legal documents. And, and I think there's still a perception that, you know, having lots of long-winded, archaic legal language is good and, mm. and that makes the contract better, which I really don't buy into at all. Yeah. Because even as a lawyer, I can sit and scratch my head trying to read something going, oh, I just, what, what, what are they even trying to say? Yeah, what does that actually mean? Yeah. Uh, and often it means nothing. Mm. But, but <laughs> um, it's put an extra paragraph, an extra clause, an extra... Exactly. Sort of, oh, look, it's valid because it's got 12 clauses and it only could do with four. Exactly. So okay. if you're putting something together yourself, mm. don't be afraid to just use plain English mm. um, and short paragraphs. If, if you can understand it, your customer's going to be able okay. to understand that. Is that part of the alpaca way as well? If you're if you're doing that for your clients, you don't do the traditional sort of uh, uh, lengthy the shall, thou shall, third party, <laughs> whatever kind of thing. Definitely not. Excellent. No, and you see that across kind of all the, all the alpaca services, yeah. that, you know, the, the language is very much usable. Because I think it's important as well to reflect the the business that you're working for. Mm. Um, So it might be that a young, fun tech startup, the language in their contracts, be it their employment contracts, their handbooks, their terms and conditions, Mm. you want it to reflect that business. It has to have a personality of the business, doesn't it, really? It does. Even though it's still got to protect them legally. Exactly. Which might be very different to a more traditional business, maybe, you know, sort of financial services business where that kind of young, fun language isn't really applicable. Okay. So it's it's getting that right and and then seeing it as an extension to your brand, okay. something that you can you can be proud of and, and point to as part of, you know, our business assets. But plain English is the key. Yeah. Uh, the question I've got for you, which has just come to mind, is your and, and, and it's only because I know the landscape of, of the Yorkshire business community quite well. Um are you ruffling a few feathers, Alpaca? Are you, you know, are a few of the traditional sort of um, wood panel law firm uh, offices a little bit noses out and joint by how you do things? I think that, I think we're operating in a very different space. Mm. Um, we are not there looking to necessarily challenge some of the law firms who churn out contracts in the traditional way you know mm. it's high volume low cost we're not looking to do that um so we're not looking to challenge that for us it's much more about building that relationship with the business understanding what it is they're trying to achieve 
and working with them to to do that. So you wrap the services around it based on what the business aspirations are. So if, for example, you are building a relationship with an existing, well, with a client, I'll come back to your client sweet spot in a minute, but, um, and you, and there's a, a requirement for a service that you don't provide currently under the alpaca kind of family, how would you deal with that? Um, we have we have our kind of our core team and our core services, mm-hmm. but we have a big extended network of associates and consultants and mm. experts that we work with for those more niche areas. Um, we work with a fantastic um, food PR company. Mm. Um, we work with some great um, intellectual property lawyers, which is a very niche area. Mm. Which you wouldn't um, want to keep on a in-house retained basis because you're not doing that all the time I guess are you so you you're bringing the expertise to the table so it's a bit like in the I guess in the design and graphic industry a full service offering but some of that service is outsourced under I guess strict guidelines from alpaca that you're choosing your supply chain well and that they're not affecting your brand quality and brand values and things yeah absolutely and I think we pride ourselves very much on being able to find whoever or whatever it is you need, um, as 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 random as it might be, we mm. we we sold some bricks recently. There was there was a company who had a surplus of bricks, and we had another client who needed bricks, so we we put them in in touch. Or broke the deal. In broke terms the of deal. Saying, yeah. Not not what I normally thought I'd be doing on a Monday morning, but so um, brick selling is not your core, not part of your <laughs> it's core. It's not part of the core. But we did it, and we had two very happy clients. Yeah. At the end of the day, it is about keeping your clients happy, isn't it? And adding, I really do, I'm going to use a phrase I really hate, added value. <laughs> it really is one of those overused phrases, oh, we add value. You know, where's the where's the, where's the the commerciality of that, or where's the operational uh, value added on that basis? Okay. Um, without breaching any confidentiality, um, I'm going to ask you about your experiences. Where do most businesses get their legal structures and their legal advice and support wrong? Um, have you got any any interesting stories from for, for the listeners or the viewers in terms of the impact of of someone just getting it wrong or not paying attention to it that without as i say without breaching any confidence mm. don't don't be naming names on the podcast <laughs> uh, anna <laughs> i'll try not to do that um yes lots of examples and it's and it's frustrating because so much of it is preventable mm. um and i think a lot of that will come back to thinking well it's okay it's not going to happen um that that that, that's the that's the end game of a lot of people isn't it it is i'll deal with it when it happens but it won't happen yeah but that's not a realistic way to approach anything is it it's not and i think i think i've mentioned it earlier but but reading reading what you're signing up to Mm. um as as difficult or boring as it might seem if you don't know what's in that contract you don't know what liabilities you've just agreed to yeah and it might be something as simple as um that there's there's a kind of a a a payment process you have to go through Mm. in order to get your invoice paid yeah and if you don't know what that process is it's going to delay you getting paid but you only find out when you haven't been paid on your what you thought were your 30-day terms and they say exactly it'll be another 30 because you haven't filled in the the exactly. right portal or whatever it might be, yeah. Okay. And I think for a lot of businesses, particularly if you've got a, a sort of a, a mismatch in size or power mm. in that relationship, so a small business 
contracting with a supermarket, for yeah, yeah. example. Um, I think I've seen that go wrong where people think, well, there's no point reading it. There's no point taking advice on it because I'm not going to be able to negotiate it. And that's true. You probably won't be able to mm. negotiate it. But you need to know what's in there. As you can say, at least know which hook you're on, don't you? Exactly. On basis, yeah. And then we can work with you to then look at maybe internal processes that you can put in place to ensure that you don't fall foul of whatever bear traps and red flags yeah. there might be. And you can also contract. manage that into your supply chain potentially with your back-to-back to back to contracts, can't you? If you have to do that, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Making sure that those contracts do dovetail and mm. that you're not the one stuck in the middle mm. holding all the, the liability. And looking at um, other ways of, of managing that risk, you know, insurance... You can insure pretty much anything yeah, yeah. these days. If you know where to look. If you know where to look. Yeah. An alpaca can uh, direct you in the right way. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Nice to know. Now, coming back to alpaca and alpaca, the culture and, and the alpaca way, you mentioned on your LinkedIn profile that you, you personally love working with businesses that make healthy, ethical, sustainable choices and products. That's great to know. I think there's more and more businesses are making value-based mm. relationship decisions. So... How do you assess that at the outset in terms of ethical sustainability, et cetera? And what would you do if you couldn't evidence that? Um, the piece around the food and the sustainability and the, the, the ethical brands, that was something very personal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd spent 14 years at, at one of the big global law firms. Um, my clients were the big banks and the big accountancy firms. Yeah, yeah. So when I left there and had a bit of a you know, reflection on what do I want to do? Who do I want to be working with? Um, the the food um, and the sustainability is it's just, it's a personal passion of mine. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm, I've got a, a fresh slate, blank piece of paper. Yeah. This is who I want to be working with. This okay. is who I want to be supporting and, and helping them. So that's, that's where that came from. Um, I think it also does fit very nicely with the alpaca ethos mm-hmm. um so would you turn a client down if you thought it didn't fit the sort of value match is it as brutal as that or would you make some allowances for you know working out kind of could we make it fit can we educate them how would how would that work really i'm not saying there's that many unethical businesses out there yeah. who you're looking to find anyway <laughs> but you know there must be occasion where you think oh I'm not sure i'm not sure the really good values fit really yeah and, and i think that we spend a lot of time thinking about that alpaca in mm. terms of who are our perfect clients, who mm. do we want to be working with, and and to use the phrase you don't like, where can we add value? Yes, um, because there will be businesses where we can't add value mm. because maybe you know the the the, the relationships or the, the kind of um, their values or the way they operate just that there's not going to be that fit. Mm. Um, so we don't have a tick list. There's no. certainly no sort of checklist. It's not quite as brutal as that. But but there's a, there's a, there'll be an internal, I guess, uh, swingometer going on. What the way you're thinking? Oh, it's a good fit, or maybe we need to yeah. address this a little bit more. Yeah. Do yeah. we want to be working with these people? Yeah. Um, we're not afraid to say no. I think you know we're getting bolder in, in mm. that proposition as, as we're developing and, and getting more established. I think that's easy to do four years in when you've got a maturity about you. In the early days, it's sometimes it's kind of, well, we need to be doing this to be growing our business yeah. and our brand, etc. So it's a lot easier to, to have a, a bit more of a sweet spot. You'll also know what you've enjoyed doing in the last four mm. years, won't you really? 
Quick question for you that's not something we've talked about previously is because of the range of services and the range of specialists and expertise, you provide a, a whole range of things that are very different. They're complementary. How do you do business development for Alpaca then? Because I know you are all over LinkedIn and I know Alpaca, the team I see, you know, very active on social media. Who's responsible for business development? And how does that work? How, you know, because you, you're selling potentially, I don't like the word selling, but you, you're positioning or promoting something that's that's very different to different audiences. How does it work? I'm just interested from my viewpoint in that. I think as the business started, um, there was very much a kind of a, a joint responsibility mm. for business development, um, you know, meeting and, and bringing in clients. I think because the, the team comes from such a diverse business background, mm. um, we all had, you know, established networks of, of contacts and clients that have all sort of come into the mix. Mm. Um, I think as obviously time has gone on and the business is growing and people's roles are developing, you know, we're looking at, actually having a more dedicated role around that. And we're mm. currently um, going through a, a branding exercise um, with a Leeds um, branding agency called Propaganda All right, to actually yeah, look at how we position ourselves in the mm. market. We know what we're doing. We know what we want to do and what we want to achieve. Um, but I don't think any of us have quite nailed the elevator pitch yet. Okay. Well, if you need any help with that, I do training on the elevator pitch, but I'm not pitching for work on my own, on my own <laughs> podcast. That'd be absolutely, that'd be really rude of me to do that. What I, was, what I would say about Alpaca is you've got a very personality-led brand, haven't you? It feels different and it mm. feels accessible. So something's obviously working on that basis. And I came across you and wanted to invite you on my podcast. So, you know, things do work on, on that basis. So it's interesting. Propaganda, a big organization they've got lots of experience of, of this kind of area so again a bit like you're you're investing in in propaganda not spending money with them that's the key no, isn't it really it's definitely an investment okay yeah. last question i always end up with podcasts with a what i call a golden bullet kind of question um if you could share one tip with the with the audience about managing legal risk for a business what's the one tip that you would give them to say they must think about what would you say that answer to that would be so I spent a lot of time thinking about that um, and it would be to try and encourage people to change their mindset and to see it as a valuable investment adding to the assets of their business um, rather than you know an unnecessary cost. It is Contracts can be a really valuable business tool mm. um, that can actually create value in yeah. your business create wealth can't create it? wealth exactly and to read your contracts just read them please just read, it's just a, read them i'm sensing i'm sensing there's a theme there anna in terms of just just read your contracts. just read them please yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't run a fleet of vehicles without being insured so why would you run a business without having the insurance of a, 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 a of your assets being protected by by sort of legal support and advice so um so anna honestly that's flown by to it be has. fair i think you've given our audience uh, a bit of a scare maybe, uh, a bit of an insight, but hopefully some thoughts around, you know, they really should be taking this very seriously as an option to, you know, not wait for things to happen, but to, to preempt and protect themselves. I do like the fact that you've linked it back to a, an advantage to the business rather than a cost, because it is about, you know, wealth. It's about 
the impact that you can have is how you can show value to your shareholders and stakeholders, etc. So thank you for sharing those insights with me. I'm delighted that you've been on board and uh, hope you enjoyed your first podcast. I really have. Thank you very much. Excellent. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you.